Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. Today, our guest is Ronit Poland, a trend-setting writer, director, and producer for both Orthodox and general audiences. And just before we begin the show, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. Well, welcome, Roni. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. So let's dive right in and tell us a little bit about your childhood and when you discovered you're talented for writing and producing. Because for me, what's the most unusual thing is I just assumed you were a balachuva because... Anyone with your resume, clearly, I mean, I don't know anyone else who has a show on, you know, on regular cable. Well, it's not cable. <laughs> so only Ballytuba can be, like, creative and multifaceted. Is that the premise? Well, <laughs> I, I identify with you because I'm not a Ballytuba any, either. But um, <laughs> I do aspire to be on the radio one day. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you'd be great. Uh, okay, yeah, so I guess I'm... Sadly, from from birth, <laughs> um, but I grew up in Philadelphia, Northeast Philadelphia, to be exact. I definitely had an open-minded upbringing. Um, like I said, my my house was uh, from my parents are from, but open-minded people. Uh, they're both college educated. My father actually went to Princeton University. He, he's an aeronautical engineer. He helped design the cockpit of the F fourteen. So I had uh, what you would call an open-minded childhood. I went to the local uh, Orthodox schools in Philadelphia, Polits, and then Torah Academy for high school. Um, Yeah, and I always enjoyed writing, but I was not one of those kids that had a journal like Harriet the Spy, you know, and wrote in her free time. Um, I just enjoyed any school assignments that involved writing and it came in naturally to me writing was like breathing uh, to the point where when people struggled over a writing assignment I couldn't understand it like what do you mean you just pick up your pen and put it on the paper and then words come out you know I, I couldn't see what was complicated for some people um and I also very much enjoyed drama and anything imaginative. I was always the main part in school plays. Um, I loved storytelling. I would babysit a lot in Philadelphia, and I would captivate my charges with stories that would get them to behave. I'd tell them that if they you know, brush their teeth and put on pajamas, I'd tell them the stories. I would line up the kids in a row on a bed and just weave tales and not only did I enjoy the creative aspect of it and, and the storytelling itself, but I loved to see their reactions. And I think this was a precursor to really enjoying live theater and feeling the audience reaction. And even sometimes I turn around uh, and watch how the audience reacts to uh, what I've written and directed. Wow. So what? So I found that. Take us through the first steps to how you, you know, transitioned into the professional world of drama and writing. 
Sure. Okay. So it, it was a pretty natural progression. Um, like I said, I was always the main part in local school plays. And then in 12th grade, I directed my very first play. Um, I was the director of the high school play. Like most high schools take a woman or someone who's out of school to be the director. But luckily for me, <laughs> in those days, they would choose the 12th grader. And I was that girl. And I just fell in love with it. Like what I said about feeling natural, it was just oh, like, oh, this is what I was waiting to do my entire life, to be a director. I already knew how every character should sound in my head. So it was, it just felt so comfortable to be instructing uh, my fellow peers actually they were peers because we were all in high school together so I was instructing them how to play each character and I could already envision what the sets would look like so it was very natural to be working with props to create the sets that I had in my mind I had this very vibrant rich imaginative life so it was just it just felt so perfect for me to be able to uh, make my imagination a reality and, okay, so that was the first play I directed, and Baruch Hashem, it was very successful. Ironically enough, I didn't write that script, and the one thing that bothered me while I was directing the play was that I was not satisfied with the quality of the script. It was one of those typical, like, Beisiaco plays kind of things where, you know, the, the type where someone goes off the derech and then comes back on the derech, or the person who's separated gets reunited, and it, it just didn't feel complex or very realistic to me but I thought well what can I do I'm not a script writer and I thought you have to have some sort of label of script writer to touch a script um, so I just made do with what I had but ironically enough a few years later I was writing my own scripts and kind of correcting uh, what had bothered me by trying to make plays that are complex that are three-dimensional with a strong message and uh, you know, as a way to give people valuable entertainment, not just fluff. Okay, so what was but, the you know, next step after that 12th grade play? Okay, so I moved to New York, to Bar Park to be exact, and um, I had a friend that was directing these very large-scale Beisako plays where um, they would get like a thousand women and girls a night for five nights. Wow. Um, so a total of like 5,000 people were seeing these plays. Um, budgets were upwards of $75,000 for these productions. So they were very major, very professional, rented Broadway scenery, like the whole nine yards. Wow. So she was doing one of these plays, and she was looking for a good script, and she couldn't find a script that really met her needs. So basically she convinced me to write the script, and if you'll recall, I was thinking, oh, I'm not a script writer, you know, like a few years prior, I had a problem with a script and I thought you needed some magical label to um, edit a script, but she just convinced me to give it a try and I did. And that was just a life-changing experience for me, writing my first play. Um, it was very successful. I got to sit in the audience. Now, I didn't direct that first play. But that was the first play I ever wrote, and it was for a school called Besakov Durov Meir. And I got the chance to sit in the audience and just watch my words come alive. And if I hadn't been, you know, bitten by the bug before, now I really was. <laughs> um, 
And then, other, like, word started to spread. So other schools and camps and seminaries started calling me saying, oh, we heard you're the author or you're the scriptwriter um, of the Bishak of Mayer play. Uh, could we rent it from you? Could we put it on in Cleveland or London or Lakewood? Um, so I started a career of renting out scripts. And then the following year, a school said to me, I, I had another idea for a, a good play, and I approached the school with it, and they said, that's great. Yes, we definitely want to use the script of yours, but would you consider directing it? So I said, sure. So now I was like 20 years old, uh, from Philadelphia, <laughs> in Bar Park, directing a, a cast of probably about 250 or 300 girls. Uh, with this gigantic budget and the Broadway scenery and the 5,000 women coming. And it was terrifying and exhilarating and just amazing. <laughs> I'd say like some people bungee jump and other people direct plays or films. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, Was this a paid position or they? This was. This was a paid position, sure. I was the play director of the school. Right. And then from then on, more schools started requesting my scripts and more schools started requesting me to direct for them. And at this point, I've honestly lost count of the amount of plays I've directed, uh, upwards of 17, 18, 19. I stopped counting. <laughs> wow. Typically, I, uh, when I write a new play, I like to direct it myself the first time and then I rent it worldwide. Because this way I know that at least once it should come out the way I really intended, you know? <laughs> according to my vision. Of course. Once I send it away, it's like, you know, the child is all grown up and <laughs> it's out of your you hands. You never know. Yeah. It's very true. So did your plays become your, your Orthodox movies, the drama on screen you call? Oh, okay. So after I had directed plays for many years, an organization approached me and they said, okay, we know that you write and direct these excellent plays. We have an idea. Would you consider directing a play for us? But um, instead of audience members, we intend to just film it and then show it on video around the world. And this was back in 2006, and no one had ever made a from film before. There were some slideshows, which were still like non-moving pictures that had dialogue, but there wasn't an actual movie that was ever made for Orthodox women by Orthodox women. So you have to realize it was only a decade ago, but it was a very different era. Sure. And when I listened to their request, it hit me that it's a little ridiculous that we should spend time and effort like putting props on stage and building a living room set just to film that um, and then show it in a far off state. Like, why don't we just shoot a scene in the living room? Why do we have to build a set of a living room? If anyway, it's going to be shown a thousand miles away on a, on a screen. Um, so I really came up with the idea of making a from film, uh, the very first one. And like I said, at the time, it was very revolutionary. Um, I remember thinking the whole time, like, okay, either this is going to be a tremendous success or I'll be put in harem. Like, <laughs> it'll be like one or the other. <laughs> either this will be embraced and this will like start a new genre in uh, women's entertainment 
or I will never be able to show my face and the Rabbanim will be against me. And at the time I was single, you know, will I get married, like that kind of thing. My mother was like, what do you need this for? You know, know, don't make waves kind of thing. But um, I believed in it. And also it bothered me that film wasn't an option in the Orthodox world because I see it like a genre, like any other. Like I believe they were throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you know, because they were used to films with inappropriate language or inappropriate scenarios or inappropriate costumes. So people were thinking that the whole genre of film is trafe. Right. And I, my message was, no, film is a medium. It's like a book. You can have a trafe book or a kosher book. You can have a trafe film or a kosher film. So I set out to create the very first kosher from woman's film. And you have and, succeeded. Um, I succeeded. <laughs> I've seen that you have raised over $50,000 for High Lifeline from one of yes. the movies, from one of the films. Yes. It was actually this very first film. It was called Ink. And I said, you know what, since this is so groundbreaking and, and we're just starting like a new trend in entertainment, I believe that there's like a chazal that like the the foundation of the building is the most part, right? And that's, that's just a fact. So if I'm starting something new in entertainment, I want the foundation to be very strong spiritually. So I didn't just want, you know, okay, I'm going to make a film so Ronit can get a lot of money. Like I thought, wow, I have the opportunity to do something really special with this. Like, let me make a film so a very worthy tzedakah can get a lot of money. And that's what I did. We gave 100% of our proceeds um, from the first year to High Life Fund. And I'm very proud of that. <laughs> uh, they so do such special. good work. I just couldn't think of like a better tzedakah. And I really think that in the schuss of that, that we we had Hatzlacha. I mean, like the night before my movie premiere was probably the most terrifying night of my life. <laughs> you know, like I said, I didn't know. Like, would it be a bomb? Would anybody show up? Would a lot of people show up? But first of all, I had name recognition from the plays. So I was already kosher. Like, oh, a Roni Poland production? Okay, they were familiar with that because they knew my Beisako plays, you know, acceptable. Don't forget, I was going after a niche audience that was very Hasidish, very from, very, you know, from Yeshivish, from Hasidish, maybe Williamsburg, Borough Park, Lakewood, like really people who never watch movies typically. Um, and the night came, and I just couldn't believe it. There, there were lines around the block to get in. Wow. We we didn't have enough chairs. Like we set up three hundred chairs, but four hundred people showed up. I remember there was a woman who looked like she was nine months pregnant, and she stood on bleachers for the entire time. Like we offered her a chair, some people offered. She's like, no, 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 I have a better view this way. There was such excitement. Like finally, there's a movie. There's a kosher movie that we're allowed to watch, and it was just so thrilling. And it was just such an honor, like to to bring film to these people who had never seen one before. And they were so grateful for it. You have really, you know, found a solution to a problem. Like there was, there's no entertainment suddenly. You were yeah. To yeah. I mean, really a niche market. And also I'll tell you, I find it to be a solution to two problems because on one hand, um, these women had very little entertainment, but on 
hand, the actresses and the people involved in the production had very little outlet for their creativity. Like I took girls and women who otherwise would never have an opportunity to act or to sing or to dance or to make costumes. And I gave them a way to use their talents. Like it always bothered me when girls would come over to me after uh, they would graduate from high school and me by a wedding and they say, oh, Ronit, you know, we miss the place so much. That was the best time of my life. Or I wish I could act now, but now I'm, you know, 22 and I'm out of school and there's no, no way that I can do any acting. So this was a great opportunity for them because I feel like if you have a gift, it, it needs to get out, you know, it will bother you until it gets out. And if it has no outlet, it's very disheartening. Wow. So I guess the elephant in the room for me is the way I've learned about you the first time was with your FYI Network um, TV series called Arranged. And yes. my, I, so that's first of all why I thought you were a Balachuva, because how does someone who goes to Beisiaco <laughs> end up in, well, Torah Academy is not a Beisiaco, but how does someone end up <laughs> Um, on TV, you know, directing and producing on actual TV in the United States of America. So my question is, how did you get into that scene? Did you have connections? Do you, you know, how, how does someone like you get there? Right. So I like that you said scene. I thought that was a good pun. Um, how do I get into that scene? Uh, the writer you. in me likes that. But um, I, I found everything to be a very organic progression. Like, first I was doing these plays, and then I made my first film, and a few years later I made another film. And okay, now I was writing and directing film. Um, and by the way, on my film sets, I was really doing it all. <laughs> At the time, I was the writer, the director, the producer, um, many times I was uh, doing set design, costume design. It was a very bare bones team. Um, it was myself and a few of my friends, like we were volunteers, you know, and we were figuring it out as we went along and learning and researching. So it was very exciting. We were also very proud because we felt like we were pioneers, you know, the first time and even the second time because it was still, you know, a fairly new industry. Um, but that was good because that educated me on a lot of the aspects of um, making a film, being on set, you know, creating something. So after I made my two movies, I actually went to NYFA, New York Film Academy, and um, so I studied there. And then I was approached by a production company, uh, by coastal production company, meaning it's a fairly large company. They have offices in Los Angeles and in New York. And they told me that they wanted to make a new documentary series, which is a reality show, another name for a reality show, about Shadchanim, about matchmakers. And they wanted me to work for them as a consulting producer on this show. They had heard about me as like a force in Jewish uh, Orthodox entertainment. And since they were doing uh, a new show, you know, with an Orthodox uh, uh, about uh, an aspect of Orthodoxy, 
they wanted someone like myself who could straddle both worlds. Um, so I said, sure. I was very excited to sign on. This sounded like, you know, the next, the next step in my career. I had worked in, um, theater and then film and now let's try TV. So I worked on the sizzle reel, which is like the trailer for this new show. Um, and ultimately the show wasn't picked up, meaning no network bought the show. It wasn't produced. But afterwards, I said to myself, I know why it wasn't produced, uh, why it wasn't picked up. Like, I I saw the, the things that were lacking in it, and I also thought that the premise of doing it about matchmakers fell a little short. I thought instead of focusing on the matchmakers, we should focus on the subjects themselves, meaning the actual couples, because it struck me that what we take for granted, like, oh, it's so normal in the Orthodox world, you meet someone and a month or two later you're engaged and three or four months later you're married <laughs> so in the span of six months you've gone from never laying eyes on this person to being their spouse um and we just think it's so normal but to anyone not jewish or not orthodox that is fascinating and strange and shocking and definitely interesting So I came back to this company and I said, the problem was the reason you didn't get picked up by any network was that you were focusing on the matchmakers. Let me tell you what you really should be doing. So I laid out this pitch, like I laid out a plan that um, they should be making a show about the couples themselves. And that pitch and my work with them ultimately turned into this show called Arranged. They asked me to be the development producer on the show. Basically, they said, like, oh, good idea. Okay, so we're going to hire you to make this happen. Um, (laughs) And uh, I spent months working on developing the show and um, working with uh, various networks. Finally, FYI picked up the show and uh, bought it for a nice amount of money. And then I worked on the casting because ultimately we decided that instead of just having an Orthodox couple, we will feature different couples from many different nationalities because there are uh, these quote unquote arranged marriages. I know I'm using the term loosely, but you know, marriages uh, that involve like interesting dating and lots of strong cultural and familial traditions. Um, There are a lot of cultures that do this, like Indians and gypsies and, um, Muslims, there are some Asian groups that do it. So ultimately, this show focused on three different couples. And we ran for two and a half seasons. And in the second season, we had an Orthodox couple. Um, Yes, I was very proud that this was pretty groundbreaking, because this was the very first time that an Orthodox couple had ever been on TV on a documentary series, uh, like what we call a reality show. And it was it was just wonderful. And Baruch Hashem, I think we really made a Kiddush Hashem because we got a lot of feedback on social media and various ways saying like, wow, it's so interesting how Jews get married and we found the couple to be so positive and uh, we learned from them or we, we were impressed with how uh, caring they were to each other and just, just a lot of positive feedback that 
really feels good to see. It's also very cool to see the word bedecken, uh, like translated on the screen. Um, that was like a definite first in entertainment. They wrote like B A D E, you know, as it was happening uh, to explain to viewers what was going on by the bedecken at the wedding. That's so fascinating. I just to have like a, bu- a few questions about how much of it is real and how much of it was, you know, we needed to be a bit more juicier because of the show. <laughs> you know what we hear about reality TV. <laughs> so you want the inside scoop to reality TV um, from the Beis Yaakov director, right? I understand. So. <laughs> So let me tell you. So first of all, this is a total non-sequitur. It's not what you asked, but I just want to say that um, it was so interesting to me when I when I said you know this Yaakov director. It just reminded me of a point I wanted to make. Um, I was so pleasantly surprised to see how respectful the production company, the network, like the executive producers were of my religiousness. You know, I was not only the only orthodox person on the team for many of them i was the first orthodox person they had ever met um and everyone just really respected that like they knew like okay ronit has to leave early it's friday or ronit can't eat this or ronit eats kosher you know because i think a lot of times when you venture out into these kind of fields you think like well how will i be treated and will i be considered odd or like the odd man out but really the opposite. I felt that they very much respect someone who sticks to their beliefs and, you know, believes in the higher power, let's say. So that's just nice. wanted to mention that. <laughs> we did have a high position. You were respected right, in your position. Right. That's, as okay, it. that's true too. But <laughs> I like to think of it that it wasn't just out of fear that, you know, they thought they would get fired, but they actually did. <laughs> respect uh, the religion um okay oh so you wanted to know now how much of a reality show is real so this is what i can say all the dialogue was authentic that's why it's called an unscripted series we don't give them a script a word-for-word kind of script to say however the scenarios that we put them into were shall we say contrived In other words, it wasn't the kind of show where we just put a camera in their living room and it's on 24-7. And every time they, I don't know, scratch their earlobe, we catch that on film, you know? (laughs) Um, So instead, we would tell them, like, okay, today, uh, why don't you go uh, wedding dress shopping uh, with your mother-in-law? Because the premise of the show was taking uh, three nationalities that did not do that much dating before the wedding and seeing like how they managed to get together like from the engagement through the wedding uh through the first year of marriage the premise being you know they not dated the traditional american way how's it going to work out right so we would put them in the scenarios and the situations we would say okay today you're gonna I don't know, cook for Shabbos, you know, that kind of thing. But the dialogue that they spoke was of their own choosing. Mm-hmm. So that's so fun to get inside scoop, which leads me into my next question. Do you feel like people reach out to you all the time or ask you for connections or favors because of your position? Uh, yes, definitely. And how do you feel about that? 
are you? Um, sure. It's it's my pleasure. I, I if I can help someone, I'm thrilled to. If I can't, I usually tell them like I'm not working on anything at the moment, but uh, I'll try to keep your name in mind. Or why don't you email me back in a few months? Um, people are constantly coming up to me and so- asking me if they can be in my next movie or if I. Uh, basically, it's, it's usually offers to act or songwrite or in some way work on my next production. And I try to be nice to everyone because they're reaching out. And I want to be nice to them. And um, yeah, that it doesn't bother me in the least. I think like, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. And it, uh, I'm inspired by the fact that they really want to follow their dreams. And if I can help them, that's wonderful. That's a beautiful way to look at it. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, So what do you see as for the future of the Jewish Orthodox female entertainment to be? And do you see real potential for monetization in this area? Okay, so those are two good questions. So let's see. Moving forward, um, I definitely see more potential because, first of all, there's just a greater openness and acceptance of from female entertainment. Like I said, when I started, it had never been done before. We couldn't even use the word movie in the posters. We had to call it a drama on screen because like movie or film was too trafe. Um, and now people, even in the very ultra-Orthodox communities, will say, oh, I saw a movie on Kalamaid. You know, like it's, so that in and of itself is groundbreaking um, and evidence of us moving forward as an entertainment community. I just hope that more and more quality entertainment will be made because after my movie, Inc., a lot of people said, okay, great, you know, now we see that you can make a movie, maybe even make a lot of money making a movie. And people thought, okay, what does it take? You just somehow write a story and then shoot it, you know? And there were a lot of poor quality films being put out. Um, the Like I said, because people didn't realize maybe what it, takes to do it or maybe they just didn't have the skill to do it but it just looked exciting and I just hope that we as a community become more discerning and we just have more and more high quality entertainment being put out like I said I think it's an achrayas I believe it's like a big responsibility you have people open and receptive to you and to what you have to say for two hours like you can't just give them some dumb story that has no point so, um, like I said, I always try to fashion my scripts around a very strong message, and I hope others will as well. Not just a very typical message of like, I don't know, believe in Hashem, you know, but something that they can more succinctly like take from this work and, and put into practice in their daily lives. For sure. So... And and regarding the monetization part, that was the second part oh, of yes. the question. Right, the monetization. Okay. So it's, uh, it's difficult. Um, <laughs> I think hopefully that, like they say, that like the oil rises to the top. So I would hope that 
high quality productions will be successful. Um, you know, I don't want to say that, okay, if you're, if your show flopped, it means it's terrible, you know, just like in Hollywood, there are some good movies that just flop, you know, and there are some very silly movies that are highly successful. But I do think that, um, the first thing you can do to help your film be successful is to make sure that all the elements are really truly in place besides the message that I spoke about. But are your characters realistic? Is your acting realistic? Is your dialogue realistic? Is your plot complex or is it simplistic? If you can explain plot in like five words, that's not a good plot. You know, like she has to find her missing sister. I don't really think that's, (laughs) you know, it it should be something that should take a few minutes for you to explain because there's a lot of twists and turns and subplots and complexity, basically. Um, The dialogue should be realistic. I, I wince and cringe every time I hear people speaking in ways that people just don't speak in real life. Like, uh, mother, we are famished. (laughs) <laughs> what is for supper? You know, and this is supposed to be a six-year-old. You know, nobody, like, nobody talks that way. <laughs> you know, or just like plot points that would just make you roll your eyes. Like nobody really does that. That never really happens. But somehow we're expected to just suspend total belief when it comes to a play or film. So um, I hope that that will be combated. And, you know, like I said, the first step is to make sure that all the ingredients are placed. Um, second step, I would say Davin. I was, I don't know, or maybe try to release it at the right time in the right way. Um, some things go straight to DVD. Some things are released, uh, for a holiday or a certain time of the year. So that's, I don't know, just, just some tips that come to mind. For sure. So I would like to close with, you know, what's next for you? What are What's your next project or your dream? What's the next step? Um, okay, that's a great question. My next uh, project or the next step in my journey, I think, is twofold. I want to keep on making quality, interesting, exciting, uh, but also powerful and substantial entertainment for orthodox women but i also want to be able to work in the secular world and more importantly i want to combat stereotypes of orthodox jews that are in the secular media because typically when you see an orthodox jew it's you know the yenta shadchan who's you know why aren't you married you're 23 you know But number one, very few people actually talk like that. And number two, why would we show that to the outside world? That just reinforces stereotypes. So I want to bring out complex, realistic characters where the Orthodox Jew just happens to be a surgeon, just like in real life, you know? Or the Orthodox Jew just happens to be a lawyer, just like in real life, but not these cardboard stereotypes. So both in, you know, reality programming and also in scripted programming, that's that's what I'd really like to see, to show uh, Orthodox Jews in all their dimensionality and all their (laughs) color and, you know, vibrancy. 
I can't wait to see what you come up with because you're so talented you. and you know it and you Thank take you. the responsibility of your of your gift to really perform and deliver on on a high level and demand that level from everyone else. So really admire Thank you. you. <laughs> and I'm so honored you're on our show. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your stories and tips and messages with Thank everyone you. out this there. This was so much fun. <laughs> Ronit's plays have been rented and performed worldwide and translated into Hebrew, English, Yiddish, and German. Her films have been shown in over 70 cities around the globe. And you can rent her plays and films too by just going to www.flyingsparksproductions.com and filling out a contact form on the site. If you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to leave us a review, subscribe, and share this show with people you think may also enjoy it. See you next time.